Hello, and welcome to the latest Aeon Pensions podcast, focusing on providing risk settlement insights to help you size up your de-risking options. I'm your host, Karen Gainsford, Principal Consultant in Aeon's Risk Settlement Group, and I'm joined today by Lucy Barron and Chris Martin. Lucy, Chris, could you let our listeners know a little bit about your background? Lucy Barron, I'm a partner at Aeon, and I've worked in investment for over 20 years, I lead the Aon team responsible for providing investment advice on risk assessment transactions. And last year, I advised on the largest buyout transaction to date, the £4.7 billion talent transaction. Hi, and I'm Chris Martin, Executive Chairman of Independent Trustee Services. I've been a professional trustee for around 30 years, particularly over the last decade or so, spent quite a lot of time dealing with risk reduction and risk transfer, and have recently chaired the co-op scheme through a number of risk transfer transactions. Fantastic. So today we're going to focus on investing for bulk annuities. So what options are open to schemes of different sizes? What investments work well when preparing for a buy-in or a buy-out? And I guess just as important, you know, which investments should actually be avoided? So Lucy, 2019, it was obviously a very busy year in the bulk annuity market. Lots and lots of very large transactions. How big a part do you think investment strategy played in those transactions? I'd say investment strategy played a huge part driving the success or failure of some of those transactions. This is because for large schemes, it takes substantially longer uh, to invest and disinvest, and there's more risk and higher transaction costs in the process. So managing the risks around selling assets and transitioning was critical for the schemes and the insurers alike. And I think for these large deals, the major development we've seen on the asset side is large schemes talking to insurers much earlier in the process, around six months to 12 months before transactions, talking about the more complex assets that they hold. This has enabled schemes to work out what assets insurers would take in specie, what needed to be sold. It's allowed for some more innovation, for example, deferment of paying premiums to sell assets. And I think above all, it's given confidence to the insurer that the asset risks were being well managed, which made them more confident to quote on some of these large transactions. So Lucy, what asset preparation would you recommend for schemes looking to secure a buy-in or a buy-out policy in the sort of short to medium term? Okay, thank you. I, th- I think there's three things um, that schemes should look to do. The first is minimising volatility by better matching insurer pricing and doing this by having high levels of interest rate and inflation hedging in place reducing and diversifying growth assets that don't form part of the insurance pricing bases and also having an allocation to corporate bonds. Second thing is planning ahead. If you've got complex assets that might be a barrier to transaction, thinking about, for example, identifying an exit strategy for illiquid assets you hold or simplifying more complicated, segregated LDI mandates. And the third thing, when you get closer to the transaction, plan ahead for the transition. For example, lots of schemes can save money and reduce risk by using a transition manager. But to do this, you need to plan and have documents in place well ahead of time. Okay. And Chris, what preparation work did you find your trustee boards had to carry out readiness for their transactions? Preparation for the transactions probably goes back a number of years. And in my experience, this is a common theme across all successful risk transfers. I think it starts with getting um, a clear view on strategic objectives between the trustee board and the sponsoring companies. Once you get to that stage, and that was certainly the case with the co-op schemes, 
you can start to think about what governance framework you need to put in place to allow you to deliver each of the steps towards risk transfer. Uh, so although um, it's nice to celebrate the success um, of getting the risk transfer away in what a quite difficult market, actually the hard work was probably done three years ago. So the key challenges to my mind are to get each of the stakeholders to sign up to a common set of objectives, which can then be turned into a shared set of metrics. Uh, so metrics such as um, what impact would we tolerate on expected future return? What impact on different measures of funding? What do we see as the duration to full risk transfer? And, and what impact will the particular transaction have on getting to that stage? And of course, the impact on liquidity and uh, impact on collateral. So if you can set the metrics in that way, actually it simplifies the subsequent decision making to the point that it makes execution that much much easier and takes some of the subjectivity out of the process and did you encounter any challenges when when agreeing those metrics either within the trustee board or, or with the sponsor so in terms of um, getting aligned over the uh, strategic objectives i think that was um, uh, reasonably straightforward but then translating that into a set of ex Useful metrics was um, slightly more challenging, and as you'd expect, both um, sponsors and trustees have slightly different perspectives, particularly around the amount of risk they're they're willing to run in future investment strategy, the duration for getting to full risk transfer, and of course, making sure that the population um, where uh, risk transfer is happening is sized appropriately. So that it doesn't preclude um, a full buyout at a later stage. So all those factors come into play. But once once a common set of metrics have been achieved, as I say it takes a lot of the difficulty out of subsequent decision making. But it's really having the debate and the um, discussion around the metrics at a time where you haven't got a live transactable um, situation in front of you. It's much better to do that in advance. And then when you do get to the point of being able to transact, there are no immediate impediments to doing so. So Lucy, there's a perception that it's harder for smaller schemes to compete for insurers' intention. How do you think smaller schemes can sort of counter that? I think mostly by being really well prepared and clear on their position and objectives. I think in the past, there's been a lot of focus on preparing data, benefit specs, getting the governance right. All of those things are really important. I think it's now also important to show insurers you're prepared on the asset side. Um, for example, being clear up front as to whether your scheme is well placed to match insurer pricing that moves in line with gilts or corporate bond yields. Uh, and also showing that you've done the preparation to establish how quickly assets can be sold or transition to the insurer to, to pay the premium. So preparation will be the key thing. Okay, and I guess the, the volatility in financial markets early this year, early 2020, has that posed any challenges for bulk annuity transactions, Lucy? Yeah, well, I think current challenges are, are twofold. Lower asset liquidity means that it's more costly to sell assets to pay the premium. And at the same time, insurers are more nervous of having to buy assets or restructure the assets they receive. And secondly, those schemes with higher allocations to growth assets have seen ongoing funding levels deteriorate. 
I think on the back of this, in the last few weeks, we have seen a small improvement in liquidity following central bank actions. That means costs have reduced a bit and allowed transactions to complete. And I think on the more positive side, we have seen solvency positions improve as corporate bond yields have increased, which has led to some more buy-in and buy-out opportunities for schemes with particularly those with lower risk investment strategies. Right. And I guess, Chris, you've been part of trustee boards who have completed transactions during the early part of, of 2020. Did the increased volatility and illiquidity have any impact on, on those transactions? To an extent, Karen, it um, had an impact on those transactions, although the financial terms were largely agreed towards the back end of 2019. So it was really getting price locks in place as soon as we could do to get to the point of uh, economic risk transfer. So that was our priority for the trustee board. So Chris, when you got the, the price lock agreed for, for co-op, how easy was it to, to match that to the scheme assets and how important was that to the trustee? So in terms of asset strategy and price lock, it was a fundamental part of our negotiating strategy with insurers that we would have to agree an approach that accommodated our existing assets as part of the overall pricing benefit assessment. So it wasn't a case of us having to um, adjust our asset strategy in order to meet what the insurers would want. It was part of a rounded overall price adjusted solution. And I guess the important thing there is making sure that your existing asset strategy that could be used within the price lock was something that was likely to be acceptable to the insurers. So absolutely, we had been, been mindful once we'd set the strategic objectives for teams. At some point, the asset strategy would be something that form part of a price lock. And therefore, again, it was the early stage planning, which I think was important. Uh, but what we didn't do was go into the negotiations with um, insurers with any preconceived ideas in terms of what would work for them or would work for us. We worked with the insurers to agree price locks that economically work for both parties. I think that in, in terms of any, um, any risk transfer exercise, it's important that trustees uh, don't try to double guess what insurers might want to achieve. So yes, by all means, uh, have some regard um, to uh, advanced preparation of asset strategy, but probably not put yourself in a place where you're anticipating what insurers would want until you've actually had the discussion with them. So open dialogue is critical at an early stage. So Chris, as, as closing thoughts, do you have, have you got any tips to pass on to others looking to prepare their assets for a bulk annuity transaction? I'd probably go back to the... Um, the start of our uh, discussion a little earlier, and I think the, uh, the most important point from my perspective is to take some of the subjectivity out of the final decision making, agree the key metrics between all stakeholders. Once those metrics are met or are close to being met, then the decision follows. Pausing to make the decision probably means the opportunity will be lost, and I've seen that happen too many times as well. So preparation, agree metrics, execute. I guess the other point that I would just make again, and it's the one that we were, um, Lucy and I were talking about just now, is don't try to double guess the market. Don't try and double guess when's a good time to enter the market. Don't try and double guess what assets will be interesting to insurers. Make the information available, work with insurers, and you'll have a better chance of actually creating a solution. And Lucy, from your perspective, have you got tips to pass on to others? 
I think as we've as we've covered today, the main thing is getting your governance and preparation absolutely right, whether you're looking at buy-ins or buy-outs. Again, preparing your assets ahead of time, thinking about minimizing volatility versus insurer pricing, managing your complex assets, and minimizing transit risk. And I think the final thing is looking out, be on the lookout for opportunities. That could include buy-ins as, as part of your investment strategy, something that has become more attractive with the increasing corporate bonds yields that we've seen in, in recent months. So for some schemes, there is an increasing opportunity there to look at buy-ins in the nearer term. Great. So I think to summarise, preparation seems absolutely key when schemes are looking at complete bulk annuity transactions. Uh, and Lucy and Chris have helpfully provided some pointers on the actions that we can take to get our assets prepared. So that's it for today. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So you've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast on providing risk settlement insights to help you size up your de-risking options with me, Karen Gainsford, and my guests, Lucy Barron and Chris Martin of ITS. If you need further information on Aon Retirement Solutions or risk settlement in particular, you can contact us by visiting our website or email us on talktous at aon.com.